Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Poets Table. Um, this morning, I'm very, very excited to be sitting down with my dad, Daniel Smith, at his kitchen table down near Arena. And uh, the reason I wanted to talk to my dad today was that my dad and I are going to be giving a poetry reading tonight at 7 p.m. at the Commons. And we hope that um, you would be able to attend. We're going to be reading some poems and in conversation uh, together. And I thought that it would be nice to have my dad on the show this morning and just give you a preview of some of the things you might hear tonight. So so thanks for joining me, Dad. Thank you, Austin. My pleasure. Right. So um, it's obviously very unique to um, be a father-son a poetry duo, in a sense. And um, I can attest that my, uh, my life as a poet um, would not exist were it not for my dad's influence and support. So um, I'm just really excited to talk to my dad today about um, his poems and particularly uh, a recent publication, a book called Ancestral, I think a wonderful title. Um, and we're going to hear my dad read a few poems as well. So, uh, But first, I just thought that we would uh, talk a little bit, Dad, about your path in poetry. Um, I see on the table here we have an old edition of the Okooch Mountain News from, what's the date there? November 1977. November 1977. And uh, I believe this was one of your, if I'm not mistaken, first publications. Is that right? That's right. They published my poem, Ode, which was actually a poem about my father on the farm, Austin's grandfather. And then another poem, also very fitting for our conversation, called Between Generations. So it's all kind of going full circle. <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, it's, it's awesome to see the old um, issue of the Okooch Mountain News, especially with uh, the new install, you know, kind of installment of this magazine via the Okooch Mountain Echo, which is just a really great publication people should check out. Um, yeah, what was it like sending poems out um, when you were, what, maybe your early 20s? Is that yeah. it? Yeah, I had just graduated from UW-Madison. Um, was working on a farm as a hired hand near Lodi, Wisconsin. Came across Old Cooch Mountain News. I had never submitted anything before. I'd had some poems published in uh, student journals at the University of Wisconsin, but mm -hmm. nothing out in the general public. And back then, you sat down at a typewriter and you cranked it out on a piece of paper and erased all the mistakes that you made and everything and stuffed it in an envelope and put it probably a three or five cent stamp on it and sent it off. And then weeks later, you got a letter back that said, thanks for the poems, we're gonna publish them. And uh, hopefully, that, that, <laughs> and that's the that's kind of way, way that went. It was a much slower process back then and mm -hmm. you relied a lot on the US mail system. Yeah, that's just really, really cool. I kind of think that I might've belonged in that time personally. <laughs> but um, so I obviously, was greatly influenced by you growing up watching you give poetry readings down in Freeport, Illinois, which is uh, where our family farm was, and um, having the great formative experience of meeting poets like Gary Snyder, who will be featured on Poets Table soon. Um, as a boy, just watching you give readings and um, reading your, your poems was so influential for me. And I'm curious, you know, I can't really imagine being a poet myself were it not for your influence. I'm curious, how did you get going writing poems? I, I think that um, my grandfather, your dad, was 
a very poetic character, wasn't he? Yes, but he was. I don't know if he, he had a wrote very, <laughs> a very um, swift wit, and um, many, many of the things that he would say on the farm in the midst of work have reappeared in my poems over the years. And even now, I still come up with something that he he would say once in a while, and and I would write about it. Well, this is maybe a good transition moment to hear a poem called Father's Day, um, in which, not to say too much about the poem before you read it, um, you recall something you saw your father do. And um, I thought it would be nice to hear that, if, sure. if you don't mind sharing. Sure, that would be great. Father's Day. I watched my father when I was a boy. I watched my father and followed my father all morning through chores the long morning chores leading into the day, the day's farm work and field work. I watched my father and followed my father, and at high noon I followed him in to wait behind him at the wash tub in the old farmhouse. He used tough bars of lava soap and a horse bristle brush clean up to his elbows, his sunburnt arms red and hay chaff specked, the hot scrubbing before the cold water rinse of the morning's work, be it cattle or crop, metal or wood. I watched and followed my father all those years, and now decades have passed since I've touched his hand. I live on land my father never saw, miles and miles from all we knew. Each morning I rise to the barn in the fields. These chores I do to keep me sane. Come noon, I am the man at the wash tub, lathering and rinsing, lathering and rinsing. Well, I just love that poem. It gives me chills to hear it. And uh, I thought, you know, as we do on Poets Table, try to think through the poem a little bit. Maybe um, it's awesome to actually have the poet present with us. Um, I don't know about you, Dad, but I don't really have a very, very vivid memory of where I was or what I was thinking when I wrote a poem. Um, I just noticed, though, that in that poem, though it is, um, it's not in any kind of formal rhythm or rhyme, there's such a sensibility of music in that poem with the repetition of, I watched my father. Did How important is sound or that, that kind of musicality and that rhythm to you when it comes to getting a poem off the ground and starting to write. I really thought in that poem that the, the, um, the tone of the poem and the re repetition of the word follow was essential to the poem. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking before I wrote that poem of how we follow our ancestors from generation to generation, how we learn from them both things that we want to do. I think we can also learn things not to do um, from one generation to another. I think Austin, you're in my experience and both in farming and in poetry is another example of that generational flow that goes from one to the other. And I remembered as a child, and when you grow up on a farm and Austin knows this very well, you spend so much time as a young child right in the midst of the family work. It isn't like your parents get in the car and leave for the office and come home at the end of the day. 
you are there immersed in the life of the farm and from a very young age you follow and emulate and learn from your father and your mother and the work on the farm and I remember that at my stage of life uh, just following my father all the time and I remember those days of the heat of summer going in and washing up at the at the old wash tub as I said before we sat down for lunch and then I was thinking years later uh, my father passed away now for over 20 years we're still on a farm but a much smaller farm in a different state farm as I say that he never saw but those old habits keep coming back of getting up in the morning and feeling like you need to go to the field or the barn and do something with your hands to start the day to get through the day and then I caught myself washing my hands at preparing for lunch and realizing so much has changed but then a lot of it hasn't changed at all. That's such a great uh, description of how that poem works because it really to me collapses time um, in a way it's this magical kind of transference of your father's my grandfather's experience to your own and it's just kind of a magical moment when you become in a sense become your father washing um, rinsing and lathering as you say I also thought you're um, just really amazing at Midwestern dialect like um, you write I guess meaning like clear up to the elbows or something mm -hmm. um, but you say clean up to the elbows mm -hmm. which is of course how we would say it here but you also have that word clean there which is what is being done yes. so I saw that was really uh, remarkable. I had never noticed that before today. Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, tonight when we read at the Commons again at 7 p.m., um, just to put a plug in for that, we would love to see you all. Um, you'll be reading from this book, Ancestral. I think we heard some of the themes from Ancestral in that poem that you just shared, Father's Day. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the other themes that arise in this wonderful collection that I hope people will go out and, and buy. Sure. Ancestral is really a book that was created, born, put together over a course of almost five decades. So really, Austin, over the course of, of your whole life. Mm -hmm. the, the oldest poem in the, in the collection was published by the old Cooch Mountain News <laughs> in 1977 called um, Between Generations. Um, there are poems that were written along the line all the way going back to the late 70s to the newest poem in the collection was written just a, a few months before it was published here a year ago and it really spans my life of um, learning to farm deciding to go home to a family farm the experience of family farming and the connection to a family in land uh, starting with my wife Cheryl Austin's mother our own uh, family on the farm and farming for 30 years and I really wanted to explore the change of time the change that work that much work over so many years places uh, on a family and on a person um, the physical work of farming the emotional toll of farming the wearing down sometimes from just the adverse weather or the relentless work that has to be done every day and we did that for 30 years and I wanted to capture that and pay honor to that work but then when we decided in 2008 
that we would sell our cows and sell our farm and relocate to a smaller, more manageable, I would say over the long term, a more sustainable lifestyle than we had engaged in for 30 years. I wanted to capture that as well. And then my first work when I moved off the farm here to southwestern Wisconsin was as a crisis counselor for the mm -hmm. Department of Agriculture, Trade and Consumer Protection's Farm Center in Madison. And in that role, I served as a crisis and financial counselor for farmers all across the state. And since I had been a farmer for 30 years and I had transitioned out of farming, I had instant credibility with a lot of those farmers. And some of the poems in the book are directly taken from the stories that I heard over kitchen tables, just like Austin and I are talking over right now, um, and learning how universal the love for the land is, the commitment to family farming, and how something that, even though it is extremely difficult and sometimes can be financially taxing, um, is always physically taxing, um, is eventually emotionally taxing, still means a tremendous amount to people, especially when they get to the point in their life when they have to change from what they have always done, have always loved. The idea of ancestral was the passage of a way of life, a, a work ethic, a home that passes from generation to generation. But I hope it extends through the book to not just my story, not just our story, Austin, and our family, but the story of thousands of farm families over the course of the last 40 years. You know, I, I went home to farm in 1978. And in 1978, Wisconsin had 47,700 small licensed dairy farms. And today we have about 6,500. So I think there are over 40,000 farm mm -hmm. families out there that went through this same transition, the same passage of ancestral land and an ancestral way of life that I did. And that's what really motivated me to pull these almost five decades of poems together in a cohesive story that tried to capture that story of the Wisconsin farmer. That is just beautifully put, and um, I think we're about uh, halfway through our show, so just reminding everyone that you're listening to Poets Table. I'm your host, Austin Smith, talking to my dad, Daniel Smith. Um, on the occasion today of a poetry reading we'll be giving together tonight at 7 p.m. at the Commons. And the show is being listened to, of course, on WDRT. And uh, yeah, I was thinking as you were talking, um, you know, it's it's really interesting to hear the story behind the poems. Um, the poems themselves, what I admire about them is how they do something that the poet William Carlos Williams suggested, which he said, um, no ideas but in things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and he said, um, you know, basically, if you have an idea, it's best to convey it by, via objects, um, via the physical world, and that the reader will pick up on the meaning of, um, of what you have to say via those objects, in a sense. Also, William Faulkner said he had no ideas, and I think that's really fascinating that he, uh, he was almost proud of the fact that he had no, no ideas, he was telling stories. And one thing that I admire about your poems, Dad, is the physicality of the world that you portray. And one poem that uh, comes to mind and is a great poem about 
transitions and moving from one life to another is the poem Anvil. Uh, and I think that listeners will see what I mean by um, this idea of no ideas but in things. Um, if you were, if you could read that poem for us, I think that we could, uh, we could hear that in the sure. poem itself. Sure. Anvil. I've hauled my father's anvil due north up out of the black Illinois farm ground. He and I together worked decades our home. Set down 60 pounds onto the floor of this old barn, new only to me. All around our bewildered tools hang in the strange light of the cracked window pane. Where I stand looking out over land not yet home. It is growing late on a late winter's day. At my feet, my father's anvil, his striking song of steel on steel, still hammering home. Well, I think I can say that you can learn most things you need to know about how poems work from that poem. The amazing last line, which basically replicates the sound um, of uh, a hammer striking an anvil. Um, I know that I love a poem or a line when I'm extremely jealous of it, and I will never forgive you for the bewildered tools <laughs> image, which I am so envious of. The idea of tools as being bewildered, I will never, ever be able to get that out of my head. And um, yeah, and I, but it, I guess what, what amazes me about the poem, not to, I hope not to like overthink it in any way after I just said no ideas but in things. Um, what we do with an anvil is kind of, is fashion something, make something, maybe um, straighten something that's bent out. Did this poem feel in a way like, like making the poem, did that, did, did that come across for you? Is this, as we say, uh, an ars poetica, a poem about poetry? Do you see this as a poem? about making, about making connection or keeping connection. Does that make any sense? Yes, <laughs> in, in several ways. So the story of this poem, um, this, you know, when we, the, the farm that Austin grew up on and that, that I grew up on and farmed for 30 years as an adult have been in our, gener our family for three generations. And when you leave a farm like that, um, there are a lot of things that you can't leave behind, um, obviously emotional things that you carry with you, but also the physical things. The anvil was the perfect thing that I moved to our new farm here um, mm -hmm. to use as a poem because yeah. it weighed 60 pounds. I had known that anvil in, on the, my father's workshop my entire life, and I moved to this farm when I was 55. So I knew that for 55 years of my life, that anvil with its heavy base, you know, was there. I remember hours and hours of my father sharpening sickle sections or flattening metal against that anvil. When I brought it up here and set it down on the floor of this new barn, as I say, and I was hanging up the other tools that I brought, um, they actually did look bewildered. <laughs> they, they like, where are we and what are we doing back in Wisconsin or in Wisconsin now? And, and it was that anvil that when I set it down, it was, to me, it felt like I was setting a new home down, mm -hmm. a, a new base. Mm 
-hmm. and that, as you said, uh, about the everything being about things, it was the the heavy, most solid thing that I could put down physically at a time when my life was greatly disrupted. Yeah, I feel like a lesser, well, I, I would just go ahead and say um, a lesser poet might use a tired phrase like putting down roots or something. I mean, that is an agricultural image, so maybe it wouldn't be horrible, but I just love that almost, you know, via, you have this vision, you, you have, I think, a sense for what makes a poem. Um, I think you and I have had many moments where we see something or hear something and we say that's a poem. Mm -hmm. And I, I just admire, I think I tell my students when I teach poetry that the first thing you have to learn is what, what occasions a poem. Like what, what is, I don't want to say what is worth a poem, but in a way you are kind of sifting through your life looking for poem-worthy moments and objects. And it's clear to me that that anvil was the perfect object for you to convey something much larger. I think of the anvil almost as like a paperweight or something, yes. uh, something that has a tangible weight that, that by setting down kind of helped you to settle down. Um, but I get to do that as the reader. I get to, um, you're um, generous enough as a writer to allow me space as a reader to see that reading. And you're not um, quoting a lot today, but the poet John Keats said, we dislike any art that has a palpable design upon us, by which I think he meant, you know, if we feel like we're being told in a didactic way what to take away from a piece of art, mm -hmm. we can get a little bit restless. And I just feel like there's great space in your work for me to um, to meet you almost halfway. And there's a generosity in that that I know I have learned from you um, uh, in my own work to, to try to leave that space for the reader. Um, yeah, which is why I think that to embarrass you for a second, um, there was a, a recent reading that you gave uh, from Ancestral down in the Spring Green area, and it was just very moving to see how many people came up to you afterwards and were so deeply moved by that. And I, I was thinking, um, before we hear one last poem, you know, you're you're you have this really amazing talent for writing about rural subjects and, and rural life. And you connect with farmers and you connect with more literary types and everyone in between. So I see you as a kind of translator of this life. Um, do you see yourself in that role? Are you, I'm thinking of a poem that we don't have time to hear today, but a poem that was generated from um, things that were said or, or written by a, a, a Wisconsin farm wife. Mm -hmm. um, how do you see your work as, as being sort of a, an act of translation? Um, from the, the world of small family farms to um, the page? I think it was a gift to be born into farming. I think it was a gift to be observant enough over the course of time to see how much farming has changed and the mm -hmm. different um, demands it places on people um, who are still trying to make their living total living off the land. Um, I was able to live that life, I think, through some of the, what I would almost call a golden age of agriculture, of small family farms that did quite well, that were totally operated by the family. Um, that created a world that I wanted to capture because I also think that all the time that I was doing that, I, I, I felt like it was a world that was in transition and mm -hmm. not in transition to a better place. 
I left full-time farming now 14 years ago, and I, I am amazed at how much farming has changed over those 14 years um, to where I barely recognize a lot of the dairy farming that goes on now compared to what, what we did, Austin. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is, um, I was uniquely positioned to try to capture something that means a lot to people agriculture, family farming, and to do so in a time of great transition and change. And I hope that we can look back through these poems and see a little bit of what we lost. I noticed in Wendell Berry's new uh, book mm -hmm. that is out now, he talks about a lot about we need to look back and see, mm -hmm. not always be looking ahead to the next gadget or, or, or process that we're going to adopt but look back and learn and, and re, recommit to our values. And I hope that this book does that. And I think that's why it resonates with a lot of farm families. Well, that's a great transition to the last poem I would like you to share with us, which is a poem about change. Um, and it's called The Day, and it's one of my favorite poems of yours, if you wouldn't mind sharing it. The Day. How abruptly change appears dressed as wildfire leaping the divide, or the armed intruder in the hall, or the drunk driver failing to stop. So the norm is now respite, the blessed day, the day that ends as it began, everything you love, intact, at peace, safely home. Yeah, I almost want to just let that stand on its own, but I'm the host of a poetry show and I have to talk about it. So, um, it, in a lot of the um, poems that I've been trying to share with you all on the, um, the last couple of weeks, I have offered um, opportunities for you to find the poem online so that you can actually see how it looks on the page. Uh, the only way to do that with this poem is to um, purchase my dad's book, Ancestral. But I, I thought I would just ask you about the way the poem is um, formatted on the page, Dad, because there is almost a divide in the poem itself. It's two mm -hmm. stanzas of four lines each, and there's this very, you know, there's a stanza break between these two stanzas. Um, and I just, I see in the poem a kind of um, bifurcation or the difference between the day that goes awry and the day that ends as it ought to. Um, it's just an observation, but I I really admired that, and I admire also, the older I get, the, the more I admire brevity mm -hmm. and just saying what you mean and, and, uh, and then leaving it be. Yeah. Um, so I just admire how much you convey in such a short space. Um, we just have a minute or so left, Dad. Is there anything that you wanna say before we, before we close? Um, I would go back to what you were talking about before, Austin, about the, the spacing of poems, uh, the use of physical things to make your point. You know, I, I really learned a lot of that from years and years of reading Gary Snyder. Mm -hmm. And to read Gary Snyder's poems, you almost have to see them on the page because they're almost little works of art, the, mm -hmm. the white space around, and how he says the simplest things in the shortest language that make you just say, wow. And I know when I first picked up a uh, book of Gary Snyder's poems, 
I was 19 years old and I picked up a, a book in a used bookstore in Madison and read the poem standing in the aisle and felt like my life was changing under my feet. And that's the power of poetry. I don't know of any other uh, thing that you can come across on your daily you know, travels that mm -hmm. can have that big of an influence out of you and say, this is what I want to try to capture. This means something, this is important. This is what I want to do with a good portion of my life. Well, that's a great, great um, thing to end with, I believe. And uh, if you've enjoyed our conversation, just one last time, uh, this was a conversation with my dad, Daniel Smith. I'm Austin Smith, the host of Poets Table. Tonight at the Commons at 7 p.m., my dad and I will be in conversation about poetry and giving a reading together. It would be lovely to see you all there. Um, thank you so much, Dad, for coming on the show. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Austin. I enjoyed it. And thank you all for listening. Uh, again, you've been listening to Poets Table here on WDRT. I hope you'll join us next week. I have yet to choose the poet that I'll share with you, but it very well may be Gary Snyder, the poet my dad just mentioned. So I hope you'll tune in. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye.